With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Analyzing Everton. Um, we are back. I'm still not promising that we're going to be back uh, every week, but thanks for those who reached out again uh, saying you enjoyed the show following its return last week. Um, so me and Josh are back again and we're going to have a chat about a really disappointing result against Tottenham on Monday. Um, we'll look at a few other issues that I guess developed from that game. Then we'll have a look at Everton's form really against top sides in general away from home and we'll we'll then look ahead to I don't know if you could still call it a big game but we'll wait and see we'll look ahead to Southampton which is on Thursday but I'll take this opportunity to to bring in Josh Josh how are you <laughs> <laughs> I'm good mate yeah I'm yeah. Um, you know not as not as grim as you so <laughs> I saw you after the match actually tweeting a few things and yeah. A little bit out of character to be that to be that fuming, I thought, but yeah, uh, I, it's, I, it's understandable, I think. Yeah, I tend to I tend to bury the emotive side of things um, and just remain fairly objective. I must admit, I haven't always been that person, but certainly since I've started working in football, I try yeah. to put the fandom to one side because I think it can all be, get a little bit silly sometimes, and it's good to remain quite objective, but. I have to admit, I was really frustrated with the match on Monday. I thought it was a, a, a poor game. I thought Everton were poor, Tottenham were poor. Um, I just didn't enjoy it at all. I got really frustrated because I thought there was, to be honest, there was more that could have been done. I think, I think the only person that might have enjoyed it was would have been Jose Mourinho. I think outside of that, mm. you know, it wasn't it wasn't the most enjoyable watch. Yeah, I mean, I I personally thought Tottenham were there for the taking, and I couldn't but I couldn't believe the laughter at half time when you know Tottenham players were breaking out into fights on the pitch because all I kept thinking was, well, this side of winning, you know, what does that make you as a team if you get beat by a, a side clearly in a little bit of turmoil? Okay, the narrative's been spun a little bit to it shows passion, and I agree to an extent, but. For me, I think I, had you played a little bit better on the day, then you know you probably could have picked up a few goals there and, and made things worse for them. But um, I mean, suppose let, let's get into the game then, shall we? Um, as touched on, it was a bad game. I thought no team really stood out. It was settled by way of a, I think it's fair to call it an own goal, bit of a shot uh, from Lo Celso early early-ish in the first half, but. If we look at the XG, it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 0.5 for Everton and 0.6 for Tottenham. Um, most of that was just an accumulation of really low quality shots as well. Um, what did you think, Josh? And I can imagine you, I mean, did you manage to stay awake for the full 90 or? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a bad game, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, did, funnily enough, did you see um, Andrew Beasley's tweet? 
Um, it depends. I've seen a few of his, but it, nothing standing out. Which one he's talking about? He, he tweeted saying, um, "I mean, obviously he'll probably be using a different provider to us, but he said based on the combined XG in the match, that was the joint fourth most boring game of the Premier League season." <laughs> um, because I think I think according to his provider, the, the combined XG for the match, both sides was um, a total of one point one. I think mm. I think our provider actually ranks it even lower than that. I think doesn't it? I've used uh, stats bomb FB reference. I've actually yeah. got it at that. To be honest, I've got okay. uh, 0.5 and 0.6. So yeah, just about 1.1. 1. 1. Um, yeah, under stats had um, Spurs at 0.5, Everton at 0.4. So that would have been even lower. Um, yeah, yeah. Total of 0.9 for the whole game, but. Yeah, it just it, it wasn't great. Um, to be honest, it was I thought it was quite reminiscent of sort of how the Premier League was going about fifteen years ago. Um, mm. What I mean by saying that is, you know, the prominent figures in the league were, you know, aside from Ferguson, you had Benitez at Liverpool, Mourinho at Chelsea, Allardyce was a big figure. I think Moyes was still at Everton, and you had you had matches where like. They would just they would go like that. It'd kind of be a stalemate. It'd be who blinks first, who who concedes first, and it just felt like, you know, the the more modern the game's becoming, the more proactive teams are becoming, and the more the more teams are kind of taking their own destiny into their own hands on the pitch. Mm. But this felt like two teams that were two two reactive teams almost facing each other, which, mm. as I said, just reminded me of of English football fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Actually, I think as a, as a game, it's really hard to maybe quantify in numbers beyond obviously the scoreline and and you know the, the xG for both teams. I think in terms of the performance, it's really hard to you know back it up with numbers. But it just it just felt completely dis, disjointed. Me personally, I thought there was a complete lack of belief from the outset from from Everton. Which is a an ongoing theme, really, against perceived top sides, especially away from home. You know, I do think, for all the criticism of um, particular players, that we'll we'll touch on a little bit more. I do think, as a collective side, Everton aren't a bad side. You only have to look at the the former home against the same sides to know that I think they've had three defeats at home all season. Um, let me see if I can bring it up. Three defeats at home all season, two of which were against um, Sheffield United and Norwich and both games Everton with the better side just couldn't find a goal and then the other one was against Manchester City where it actually felt like a fairly competitive game that it just didn't it didn't mm. go the way on the day which can happen against Manchester City because we know how good they are especially when they're on it um, so you know Everton get results in these matches at home with a bit more belief but Away from home, there just isn't any, and I think too many players play within themselves. And um, I thought that's that's what we saw happening on Monday. Yeah, it, it felt a bit, a little bit stale. It felt like the, the play was a bit safe. safe um, yeah. Neither team really playing to win, to be honest. Um, mm. And it, 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 I don't know about you, but it felt like in terms of the the, the team that Ancelotti fielded. And this this stems from the squad. It it does feel a little bit like square pegs round holes. Mm. Um, I remember saying when we were talking about Silver leaving, 
that um although although there's potential there and there's the odd little star that you can work on, Everton squad is generally a squad that it's just not a very well put together squad. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the squad personally. I think it needs a it needs lots of tweaking. But there's don't get me wrong, there's there's bits there that there's pillars there that you can work around. But I think the fact that Tom Davis was playing on the right, Sigurds in central midfield, it will be on the left. Which, funny enough, I actually think he's. He, I prefer him on the left to be honest. But still, just on the day, it's just um, I just kind of feel as though things will improve system wise when you've got players on the pitch who are in roles that allow them to do what they're good at. Basically, yeah, I agree. And, I and you know what? Just yeah, a, it, go on, come on, sorry, sorry, go on. I was just going to say it was just it was a very functional approach to the game, you know, fielding Tom Davis on the right and stuff like that, and just trying to trying to use the system to get the results as opposed to the the individual quality of the players. Because as I said, it was quite a functional a functional setup rather than um, deploying players that are that are going to go and win you the game almost single handedly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I do. So I mean, for me, that's a consequence of. Just a really um, erratic kind of structure at the club in terms of changing managers and philosophies. You know, um, Silva wanted to play, you know, the, a four-two-three-one. Well, that's basically all he played. Even though there was talk of eventually four-three-three, didn't really end up happening. Um, so he has an idea of the kind of plays he wants, and you know what um, characters he needs to um, fulfil. Whatever his ambitions were, then Chelsea comes and he's doing something completely different, and then you do get left with these square pegs, round holes that we're seeing at the moment. It did make me think, though, and this is slightly unrelated, but I'm I'm just keen for your thoughts. Um, I was thinking about sides like Chelsea, who tend to have such a high turnover in managers, but they always seem to sustain some form of success, don't they? Mm. And it, it made me bizarrely, for all the wrong reasons in football, almost admire their ability to change managers so often and still sustain being a good side. Because I've seen with Everton, okay, the the obvious thing is that the differences in resources, but I just I see with Everton, it's just constant chop and changing, and then you you're then left with these players who are built for different systems who can't function within. The, the, the new system that that the new manager deploys and it just made me think of how Chelsea are always chopping and changing managers but yet still manage to remain a decent side and I don't know if you agree I guess that's just down to resources I, th- I think it's down to resources but I also think it's 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 absolutely founded upon recruitment really I think mm. your recruitment is everything and I think although over the years Chelsea consistently changed managers Throughout that period, they were still consistently signing good players, um, and I think if you if you look at Manchester United for example, similar situation in terms of going through a period where they didn't really have a star to play, and they had a you know a fair few different managers, but the, the the main problem really was that okay you're not buying players for a specific brand of football, but you're not buying good players either. You're mm-hmm. buying players who are over the hill, players who aren't aren't going to be suited and that sort of thing mm. um, and it, it ended up causing problems and I think I think what, what you mentioned there about Silver I think one of the problems with Silver was he, he was trying to he was trying to instill a brand of football that weren't suited to his players 
Um, regardless of formation, I think the brand of football was, was unsuitable. I think with Ancelotti, he's got the brand of football more suited. But in terms of the formation, I still don't think he's got the the, the right personnel to to um you know to carry out the roles he wants sort of thing. If he wants to keep the four four two, he doesn't really have a proper right sided midfielder. Um, you could argue he doesn't really have a centre midfielder considering Sigurdsson's playing there. Mm. Um, and you know it will be on the left. I'm sure we'll get to that. Mm. Um, I think the only the only roles he's got virtually spot on would be, you know, the, certainly the left-back, certainly the front two, have Mason Holgate. And I suppose I suppose the rest, to a degree, is, is up for debate. Yeah, I'd, um, I don't think I could, I could add another position in there that I'd be fully confident in. Um, you know, right-back still got question marks. I think people, people love to disagree with this, but I think there's question marks all the goalkeepers still. Um, and then, yeah, you look at central midfielders, for me, the biggest issue, um, you know, just the a, right. Just Come on. A question, mate. Um, if, what, what what are your thoughts on on maybe moving Richarlison back into either the left or the right midfield and putting Moise Keane alongside Calvert Lewin? Have you got any thoughts on that? Or I mean, I, I appreciate that against Spurs away from home. Maybe that's a bit too offensive. Mm. But in certain games like that, where you you know, you go behind or in other games where Everton can't get a win or can't find a goal. Maybe that'll be a little bit more offensive and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I have. I, I, I've toyed with this idea a couple of times because we know Richarlison can produce on that side, on, 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 you know, on the flanks. You no, know, he's still a really good player. I'm trying, I guess from Ancelotti's point of view, I'm trying to see what would stop him doing that. I think he may be concerned that he'd be too much lost um, in in terms of the the duo up top, I think he potentially look at that and be concerned that there would be um, too yeah. much of a, a loss there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm I'll be brutally honest, I just don't think he's convinced by Keane yet either. No, Keane, it's so hard for him to come onto these games with 15 minutes to go and influence it positively, but he's just doing very little if you compare it to say Gordon, um, who's who's kind of similar although he's playing a little bit more at the moment but he's been asked to come in and make an impact and he's just doing it so much better Keane is he's just lacking the basics I think you know he's not he got a decent shot off on Monday but giving away really silly fouls and you know it, it, it's, it's sometimes his tactical understanding's a little bit off he doesn't he doesn't make the right runs he can be a little bit static and that stuff really stands out when you're in the same team as like a Calvert-Lewin who does that stuff really well. Um, so I just don't, don't think the faith is there yet. But certainly if this season peters out, which it looks like it will, I'd, I'd try it because you've paid a lot of money for Keane. So you need to just give him a, a couple of games and just see if he settles into the side a little bit better. Yeah. No, I appreciate what you're saying. I just, I just think um, in terms of... Moise Keane, I think he's he, at least he has that kind of that individual spark of being able to do something that can win you the game, and um, he's got he's got generally quite offensive traits, just naturally anyway. You know he's really really fast, as you say he's got a good shot on him, mm. um, and and that sort of thing. And if you look at Everton's xG since the restart in the four matches, one point four against Liverpool, zero point nine against Norwich. 1.2 against Leicester, 
0.5 against Tottenham. So it, it's an, it's okay. You've got results. You know, you've got one draw against the champions, two wins, and a, and a loss there. But in terms of your attack, you know, I'm I'm just thinking of potential solutions when it when it comes to offering a bit more going forward. And if you if you look at Evans next few games, I don't know. Maybe maybe when you face Villa at home, and when you face Bournemouth at home at the end of the season, maybe there are two matches where you sacrifice a little bit of the functional aspects, and you just yeah, I don't know. You just test it because I don't know. I'm just thinking of, of bringing in players that are a bit more threatened. No, yeah, I do agree. I I, I totally agree. Um, I, I, it it it's it, it we you do need to see certainly a little bit more from the attack. Whilst you have two really good uh, forwards, the the, the attacking intent, or maybe just a general attacking play hasn't quite been there and. You know, I thought Gary Neville picked up on something really interesting in the uh, in the game on Monday, where Calvert Lewin's received a ball into feet in the penalty area, um, and he could have turned and turned yeah. towards goal. Yeah, and he he cuts back on himself, and I th- I'd, I'd like to see from your attackers, not even just the front two, just attacking players. You want to see a little bit more ambition to go towards the goal, uh, and we'll touch on this a little bit more when we come on to a Wobi. Um, but I just think there isn't enough attacking intent. And I think Charleston does it. And Charleston either creates a decent chance for himself in that first half where he turns and drives a goal and just puts one past the post. And, you know, Keane come on and then they create a little shot for himself. Or maybe that is an option. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, the, the attack is something that we maybe just need to keep an eye on because in creating a bit of uh, solidity, in the defence, it does look like the attack's losing out a little bit at the moment. But uh, we'll just move on so we don't get too bogged down in, in the one subject. Just back onto the game, I noticed that Everton conceded 18 fouls, which is the joint highest they've had in the Premier League this season, which, again, for me, a uh, sign of a poor display, quite reactive and, and sloppy rather than being in charge, you know, you, you find that the sides who don't give away many fouls tend to be the better sides in the league, don't they? Yeah, it, it offers a bit of an insight into the, the team maybe not being particularly sharp on the day, um, lacking a bit of anticipation and that sort of thing. And it is the kind of thing that you, you only need to be a millisecond late and you complete and you and you commit a foul as opposed to winning the ball. So mm. I don't know, maybe. It, could it, could it be a case of the players being a little bit tired sort of thing? I mean, there's a game every three days. Everton aren't particularly used to that. This game is in London. You know, just just that sort of thing. As I said, all it, all it takes is a, sp- a split second. Yeah. Yeah. Tiredness will play a part for, 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 for every side, I guess, at the moment. Um, but I just to anticipate that really I did watch them back this morning some might call me sad but you know it is meant to be providing accurate analysis and for me there was just too many of these fouls that were daft you know I appreciate the ones where the attackers just you know bypass you with a little bit of skill I can accept them frustrating as they are I can but there was just too many times where defenders were lacking intelligence you know a player's running away from goal um you know, no immediate goal threat and just yeah, shoulder barge and daft fouls. Just really, just really yeah, sloppy yeah. stuff. There was one specifically that comes to mind. I think it was Andre Gomez on the edge of the penalty box 
Um, oh yeah, I can't remember who it was on. Might have been Son, yeah. But the ball, mm. the ball had left almost two seconds earlier, and rather than just moving, he he kind of just follows through and barges him onto the floor, mm. gives away a free kick, and I think Eric Dyer ends up taking it and goes quite close. Yeah, yeah, there was that one. Um, I don't know if people are trying to make out he was putting one in on Son for the the challenge earlier this year. I don't believe so because it was a weak attempt. If so it was just daft. And now I suppose we should segue that onto onto Gomez because I I sparked a bit of a civil war on Twitter talking about <laughs> him. Uh, I don't know if you kept an eye on that, but um, basically I pointed out that he conceded four fouls but won no tackles, which you know sparked a, I guess a wider debate about just just how good he is. Now I need to admit, say from the outset. I am by no means making out that Gomez should be some sort of destroyer within the middle. I understand that's not his role at all. Um, but just before we get into it, Josh, have you got any general thoughts on Andre Gomez? You know, like how would you kind of quantify the abilities of a midfielder like with his profile? Yeah, to be honest, he's a difficult midfielder to sum up, I think, because he, he doesn't seem to have any real glaring strengths um, but at the same time I suppose he doesn't have that many glaring weaknesses either I think it's relatively safe to say I mean doesn't have that much in attack and he's not particularly quick but I don't know Does, you, you get players like this particularly in, in midfield who in central midfield who they don't offer that much output in terms of stuff that's quantifiable um, but I, I still think those players can be useful providing they're surrounded by players who do offer that output. And I don't think mm-hmm. Gomez is. I think may, maybe Richarlison you could include in that. Um, you know, possibly Lucas Dean, but he's a fullback. But I think other than other than that, Everton have got a lot of players that are just um you know, you, you used the example of Calvert Lewin coming away from the box. Um Sigurdsson, obviously a bit of a problem. Walcott doesn't offer very much at all. Tom Davis doesn't offer a great deal on the attacking side. Um, so, yeah, I think he reminds me a little bit of um, Wijnaldum, to be honest. Wijnaldum's similar. Clearly offers positives to Liverpool. But at the same time, if you look at his quantifiable stuff, his numbers beneath the surface, it looks like he's doing virtually nothing. That would be a problem at Liverpool if he wasn't surrounded by you know a variety of, of top attacking players. Um, but because Gomez isn't surrounded by those players, and you know there's an emphasis on him to to create and stuff like that, he he kind of he shows up as a bit a bit base to be honest, a, a little bit um, bland in his game, doesn't really influence things, that sort of thing. Yeah, I uh, unbelievably, I'm gonna. It feels like I'm sticking up for Liverpool player on a on a podcast here, but. I appreciate the point you were trying to make in terms of, you know, data-wise, he'd look, he might look quite basic, uh, Wijnaldum, but I actually think it's a disservice comparing the two because I think Wijnaldum is, offers so much more. I think he's a, a much better physical profile. You know, I think he's, he, he presses better, he's stronger. I think Gomez, for me, just lacks any kind of off-the-ball influence. You know, I, I noticed Matt Cheatham tweeted out this week that he's been dribbled past more than any other player in the Premier League since football returns. 
okay, people will try and quickly counter that by saying he's come back from a big injury. It's going to take him a while to get going. Ancelotti dismissed that in his post-match uh, conference on on Monday, saying that it, you know all the data says he's as fit as can be, but they'll keep an eye on him. Um, and then the other thing people have said is you know is, is things about he's an elegant passer of the ball. Um, you know he kind of keeps possession ticking over. So we need to that destroyer next to him, you know, like last year he had Adrissa Garnagay. Um so just just on that point, Josh, what I'm gonna do for the benefit of the listener, I'm just gonna run through some data between this season. So not just post injury, I'm talking pre injury as well on last season. He's only played after minutes this season, but it's still a decent sample size of around twelve hundred minutes. And I just want to get your immediate thoughts after I've run through this, okay? Yeah, put me on the spot. Yeah, sorry, mate. But I just it, it's more <laughs> just to maybe get literally just your, your, no no insight, just your immediate thoughts on the type of player. So bear in mind the excuse being made is this year he hasn't had the midfield support around him, which although I agree to an extent, I'm just going to run through the, these numbers with you. So um this season, no goals. Last season, one goal. Uh, this season, no assists. Last season, one. Uh, passes attempted this season, on average, around 44. Last season, it was 49. Passes completed this season, 37. Last season, 42. So a slight drop there. Uh, final, final third passes attempted. Nine this season, 7.5 last season. In terms of those final third passes completed, 6.9 this season, 5.4 last season. So slightly more this season in, in terms of final third passes. Uh, through passes completed, 0.3 per 90 this season and 0.08 last season. So again, you know, a little bit more in that regard, maybe a little bit more attacking intent to an extent this season. Pass and success rate. 85% identical between this and last season. Um, so and, and on passing success rate, we don't tend to focus too much on the accuracy. 85% uh, to me says that he's a he's a fairly steady passer of the ball who might attempt the odd forward pass that gets intercepted. But, you know, between this season and last season, it's identical. Just, I know we threw a lot of numbers at you there, Josh, but just... Would you say there's any huge difference between the, the two campaigns, considering a lot of people thought last year was fantastic and this year he's been a little bit off without Garner Gay next to him? Um, I think all of those differences for me stem from the the different style of play, maybe, that's been, mm -hmm. that he's been a part of this season. Obviously, Angelotti's a lot more like sitting in the mid-block and move forward quickly when you regain the ball, whereas Silva was very much, you know, you can at least try to dominate the ball. And mm. I, I assume on the Silva, Gomez's passes will have been a lot more um, sideways, horizontal and that sort of stuff, whereas under, under Angelosi, he's having to attempt a lot more vertical stuff. But mm. yeah, I don't know. What do, what do you make of it? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think those players... <laughs> improvements in terms of balls into the final third and through passes will be, as you just hit the nail on the head, as a consequence of Evan playing a little bit more direct uh, under Ancelotti. You know, but on the whole, I think you're looking at a player who has a similar profile uh, between this season and last season. 
Uh, it feels to me like it's a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit of a, a, an excuse, I guess. Uh, one thing I did notice, though, which I should point out, is last season there was more progressive runs, uh, 1.5 compared to just one point, uh, to compared to just 0. 0.6 this season. And he was attempting a, a few more dribbles as well. So he was potentially a little bit more confident to carry in the ball last season compared to this season. Um which is, is worth noting. I will say though, like um, when you look at Everton's squad, you know, if you if you're looking at the first eleven, say for example, with with next season and the season after in mind, I, I do I do feel as though, uh, you know, always you you will improve by signing better players. It's, it really is as simple as that. But I, th- I think if you look at Everton's squad, I can't help thinking that Gomez is one of the players that you can maybe just kind of leave there and. If you sign better players in, you know, say for example, a right back or a right sided midfielder or a better partner for him in central midfield, um, that that sort of thing, I I, I think he will just, I don't know, do you see what I'm getting at? I think he maybe becomes a little bit of a scapegoat because of the, I think he's prone to become a little bit of a scapegoat because of the the, the flawed squad and and how how um blunt it it can be sometimes. I think. Mm. Yeah, he's not. Look, I, I agree. And I, how I would conclude with Gomez is, I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I, I have questions whether he, he tips the scale enough to to, to the win column. I've, I actually saw someone say that on Twitter. I thought it was really good. Can't remember. That's it was. a good point. That's a good yeah, point. He doesn't influence it enough to you know tip the scale towards a win. I think he can't play in a mid in four four two midfield two. He, he's not made for the flat four four two, so that is going to expose his weaknesses. If you put him in with a three, you know, two two support midfield around him, you probably can just rely on him a little bit more in terms of just uh, his passing game. And um, when his confidence is up, he is good at that. But right now, we're not playing that formation. You don't know if Ancelotti wants to play it in the future, and. I th- for me, I think we need to, as a club, Everton need to focus on buying some versatile players in the summer who can play multiple roles in multiple systems. And Gomez isn't that at the moment. Um, and yeah, I just think, I think go on. I was going to say, I think crucially though, when you buy these players, I think you need to buy players that have got attacking traits. I think Everton have a lot of players that, in terms of going forward and scoring goals and providing a threat, they offer virtually nothing. And mm. I, th- I think y- you need more of those players. You can't just have a front two. And if they don't score, nobody else will find the net. Because that's that's kind of how it looks at the minute. Unless you score from a set piece or the front two, I wouldn't bet on any of the midfielders to, to, to bag a goal. Mm. Yeah. Well, you're right. You've got, you know, in, in two seasons, okay, we don't need to caveat every time, but he, he did miss a bulk of this one through injury. But you've got uh, one goal, and one assist in two seasons. Okay, and, and no one's judging him on on his goal and assist to turn. You know that's he's a central midfielder, so we understand it's not all about that. But you definitely need more contribution in that regard, in my opinion. Um, so uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we won't stick on Gomez much longer. But if people are screaming here now, why are we focusing on Gomez when the likes of Sigurdsson and Davis are obviously bigger issues? We know that. I know that, but. You know, Gomez seems to be a player that doesn't really face that much criticism uh, and is actually really liked, whereas the other two rightfully get picked up on every week. 
Um, so I think it's good to focus on someone who isn't getting talked about, but I do think could be doing a little bit more or maybe is even in part a little bit of a weakness for the side. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We'll move on to another player. I feel like we're bashing players at the moment, but it's just good to have a talk about them, I think, especially with you, Josh, because <laughs> obviously you look at this in, in detail like I do. Uh, I thought it was another tough game for Alex Awobi, someone that we massively backed before Christmas to 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 leave a mark on the on the side, and it hasn't really happened. And you know, he was taken off. A, I'm pretty sure it was half time on on Monday, and he offered virtually no attacking influence. I thought I know it wasn't a good game, and it's a team game. At the end of the day, you need teammates to help, but. I said to you, didn't I? Just have a little look at his attacking page uh, on on White Scout. Did you did you manage to have a glance at it, Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, great. it was virtually would would be fair to summarise saying he had virtually no attacking influence at all. Yeah, to... but I think we, I think it's important to include the caveat that um, neither did Everton as a team really. Um, mm. Like I think, and I found it interesting that it will be only attempted fourteen passes on the day, like mm. up until the point he was taken off for half time. Um, but eight, eight of those fourteen passes attempted came in the first fifteen minutes. Mm. Um, that's more than half. So then, beyond the fifteen minute mark, which is you know half an hour, he only attempted six. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think you know from as I said from 15, 15 minute mark onwards. He did kind of drift along, but 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 I think the game drifted. I, I think both teams were we spoke about it already. Both teams were kind of waiting, reluctant, mm-hmm. uh, reactive, and I think Awobi was was part of that. Maybe he's the type who would benefit from a bit more of a proactive game. Yeah, I mean that coincides, by the way, with after the after the goal. You know, again, I thought I have to say, just that slightly unrelated, but I thought Neville's commentary was fantastic on Monday. Um, yeah, I've seen him get a, a bit of praise. Yeah, I, I thought he was brilliant. He summarised, uh, you know, I think it, it, it man Carragher, and you know, are, are really good at the jobs, and they offer something quite unique at times. It's a lot more blunt and honest. I thought Neville was really good in his his summaries on Monday, but um, yeah, that that, that kind of uh, will be drifting out of the game. If he was ever in it, does coincide with it once Everton went went behind. But yeah, just to, just so people can get a get a picture listening, he had uh, no shots on target, um, no shot assists, which is basically a pass that leads to a shot. There was no crosses, no dribbles attempted, no offensive duels, and uh, no touches in the penalty area, and no progressive runs. I mean. It, it's frustrating for me because I appreciate it. As I said at the top, it's it's a team game and you can't just do it all on yourself. But mm. I, my picture of a Wobi would be a player who would pick up the ball 
and drive at the defence and just try and make things happen. Even if he gets dispossessed in the dribble, just try and make things happen. And for me, and you mentioned this word at the top of the show, he played very safe. You know, it, it was very, very cautious. And at the end of the day, I know he's got a, a role as part of the wider team game, but he's an attacker and you need attackers to make stuff happen. And to give you an, a, a contrast, an example of um, somebody who, who done, brought something completely different and maybe brought to the game what I thought a Wobie should have been was Anthony Gordon in the second half. Um, Gordon obviously comes on in the second half. He had two shots, one of which one of which was on target. He had two shot assists, so he also set up two two shots on goal. Um, successful in his only dribble. Uh, offensive duels seven. Um, and uh, you know that that for me is more attacking influence. That's a little bit more ambition to get on the ball and make things happen. And that's what I think Evertonians want from Awobi, and it's it's not just not not happening. And I'm not saying it never it never won't happen, but it's it is a little bit concerning. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Josh. Yeah, no, I agree. The the only the only issue is you know Everton bought him. And it was it was quite it was quite recent as well, so you, you have to find a way to use the guy. But you know, I, I I looked at how he's performed since the actual restart in terms of attacking output, um, and he hasn't had a shot yet, not a single shot. Um, in about three hundred minutes, he's played since the restart. Obviously, zero shots, so zero goals, and he's registered two shot assists. Um, it's not. Obviously, not not a great deal there in terms of attack and output, but I still I can't help thinking that he a isn't a bad player, and b he's a player who has the the way the way you said Andre Gomez doesn't doesn't really appear to have specific strengths. I feel like a Wobi, a Wobi kind of does. I feel like he, he he is good at progressing the ball, although he did play safe against Spurs. Um. Maybe requires a role to be a bit tailored for him, like mm. a, a player who, a player who, you know, undeniably offers more, but is has been similar over the years. Is William, William at Chelsea, considering he was an attacking player, never really offered much in terms of attacking output, at least an open play, mm. in terms of assists and goals and stuff like that. And I've always looked at William and thought, like you know, maybe if you're playing a four-three-three. If you have William as your third central midfielder to kind of, you know, when attacks are building, to just join the attack or carry the ball to the attack, mm-hmm. he'd be a lot more suited because he's an offensive player, but in terms of output, he doesn't deliver that much. So if mm-hmm. if a Wobie's going down a route of being one of them who's not going to register a great deal of quantifiable stuff like shot assists, goals, shots, you know, all that all that valuable stuff that you need in the final third. Move him away from the final third, bring him into midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously in a four four two, it's a bit of a risk. I wouldn't I am not sure he's particularly suited to to playing in central midfield if it, if it's a four four two system. But I don't know if maybe if Moise Keane comes on in the summer um and and Ancelotti wants to field Richarlison, and Calvert Lewin and Keane in the same team and he goes towards a 4-3-3. Maybe it can be, you know, a holding player, Gomez on the left of the midfield trio, 
and a Wobie just kind of, you know, as as the third centre midfielder. But it's just a problem because I, I, I don't think you're at the point yet where you can you can sell him. I think you've got to give him at least another year. You've got to try and fit him fit him in for another year to try and find a role for him. And then if it doesn't work, maybe you can look for a sale. But I don't know. He's a he's a tricky player to use. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what we're, fi- we're finding from the theme of this conversation is, whilst it's been eff- effective uh, in terms of getting the Everton up the table, and I still think they're in the top five for form since Ancelotti's come in, we are finding that the four four two is um, revealing some issues in terms of the players needed to to do well in it. I would put a Wobie in that. I agree. I think a Wobie would be better in more of a central, you know, half space position. But there's no space for that. You know, even as a number 10, but there's no space for number 10 either. So you're, you're putting them out wide. And yeah, you would like to... I personally still thought you'd get more out of them, more out of them as a wide player. Uh, but I did. I did as well. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's quite clear, isn't it, that maybe that isn't going to be the case. So... Yeah, come on. I was going to say, I think, I think what I'm getting at is, you need, um, you you need players to be in roles where they're encouraged to be able to do what they're good at, basically. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not sure it will be being allowed to just do what he's good at. Yeah, um, you could argue that he's he's not good enough to for, to to alter the system for, which mm. I would I would be inclined to agree with, but. I keep going back to it. You've bought them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think I think that the reason this that one of the key reasons Ancelotti will be playing four four two at the minute is because of Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. You know, mm. you, you you look at your best players and you and you play to your strength sort of thing. I think it will be could be a bit of a strength if you if you use them in a specific way, but I don't think he's enough of a strength for for the whole system to change for him. So I don't mm. know. It's uh, it's going to be interesting how he t- how he tackles this summer because um, for the reasons we basically just discussed. Whilst we're saying we need a player there, play here, play here, the reality is, you no, know, are Everton going to buy more than three first teamers? I mean, even that might be a push. It's it's hard, you know. You you can't just go out and spend hundreds of millions anymore. So a lot of this squad will be the squad used next season. So it'll be an interesting to see. With, whether Ancelotti is going to try and pursue the four four two with players who aren't potentially suited for it, or he's going to try and change the formation, and if so, how would he do that, and how would he still manage to keep getting the best out of the players who have benefited from the system that's in place now? Um, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But quick words are just on something that we've referenced a little bit throughout the discussion so far, and that's. I guess a lack of belief players playing within themselves and I think that comes down to playing away from home against the top side you know we, I, I had a look and I did reference it on Twitter but um, it's no win in any any way game against a, a top 10 side this season you know, this this is this could have been the case virtually every every season for the past three or four years Um you know, the, the, uh, admittedly, there were some tighter games in this run this year. You know, Everton played well at Arsenal, I thought, and probably could have got something out of that game, finished 3-2. But it, it is this lack of belief. And unless Everton improve on that, Josh, the, 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 they're not going to break into the top six or seven, are they? No. Um, to be honest, I, I, I find that when 
whenever we seem to to praise Everton, they, they seem to follow the podcast with the result like this <laughs> and, a perform, and a performance like this. And it's my life. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it captures something. Though. I think it captures that above all, the team is inconsistent, really. Mm. Um, they're a bit unpredictable. You can't really preview exactly how they're going to play because you don't you don't particularly know. Mm. Um, I, I agree that you know mentality has to come into it to some degree. I think that was one point that Gary Neville kept stressing. You know the, that Everton kind of failed to make the the kind of jump, the men, you know the mentality jump that you need to to start being considered as a serious team sort of thing. And I think amongst other things. I think that's one of the key things that that Ancelotti's got to overcome. I think it's, it, it looks like a little. I think Neville actually used these words, but it, it does come to mind for myself in terms of a kind of an inferiority complex. Mm. I, th- I think Everton are prone to having, despite getting you know having a completely different set of players that they did five years ago and five years before that and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think above all to just to just an, an inconsistent team and. You need to you need to overcome that. Like I'm I'm looking at the away the away Premier League table here. Um and Everton, if if every match was played away, Everton would currently be fifteenth. Um five points above Bournemouth in seventeenth and Watford in eighteenth. So it, you know, your away form has to improve, but I do think that it's 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 kind of one of those issues that is it is quite deep, usually. Yeah, I I think it's ingrained in the club at this stage, to be honest, and it's it's probably the 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 toughest job Ancelotti will do in terms of rectifying. Uh, before we started the show, talking with um, Guy, the producer who's an Arsenal fan, and he he it was interesting that he kind of referenced something like that happening at Arsenal over these past few years. And from outsiders looking in, we've probably spotted it as well. You know, Arsenal were. Regulars in the top four, even when things weren't going that well, they would they always managed to get there. I think they had what was it around twenty two consecutive years finishing in the top four, and I think once you start letting fragility come into your mindset as a club, it's it's really hard to shake off. And for me, I think that's where Everton are at now. And you know, as as Neville said in there, there was a point where he referenced, you know, Tottenham were. Tottenham just being beat, hadn't they? I'm pretty sure against Sheffield United before that game. You know, things were not going well. They haven't really took off under Mourinho. Everton should have been looking at that as let's go and win this. We're playing well with a decent side. We've got good players. Let's go and get a win there. And you knew very early on that it wasn't going to happen. You know, I called it a half time and there was there was no point. I believed Everton were going to win that game. And that's from just watching the game and looking at the behaviours of, of the players that they didn't believe it either. And I think you, you need to find a way to just have a little bit more belief in yourself. And then you'll start seeing these results change. I think they just need one or two massive wins on the road next season. And once they have that confidence, we might start seeing change. Yeah, but I, I can't I can't obsess, no, how, how important it is to just to recruit well, to just buy good players. It really is as simple as that. Like if you look, if you look at Man United, for example, the whole mood has changed since Bruno Fernandes arrived, and I've I've played in football teams myself when a new player's been a new player's joined your team, and you've straight away in the first training session you've looked at him and thought he's good player, and you immediately just get a boost for the season. 
because you just mm. think you start to think like you know my club's on the right track we're doing things well we're improving um i think it's important to get to to get hits in in the, in the transfer market and everything a little bit up and down with that and uh, looking at the past few years i think if he starts if he starts if he gets the recruitment right honestly everything, everything else falls into place yeah. yeah, I think it'd be good for us to do, and so many people have asked us to do it, and we've done versions of it. But I think in the in the next couple of weeks, um, we'll do a recruitment show between us, Josh, and we'll we'll kind of maybe an- analyze what players have been bought to date, and maybe where where Everton needs to strengthen. Um, as I said, a lot of people have asked it, and there's a lot. Of, there's actually a little bit of a. I guess to say undercurrents might be the right term. Um, just little debates and little murmurs of people questioning Marcel Brands recently about the, the signings he's made because there's been a lot of money spent. And if you look at the players uh, on a piece of paper in front of you and really kind of try and focus on ones that have been big hits through success stories, there, there hasn't been many. I think the obvious caveat is something that we've already spoke about, which is the change in formation, philosophies and managers which have impacted that. But maybe it'd just be good for us to sit down one show and have a chat about it and see what we what we think and be brutally honest as well. Um but anyway, we'll we'll move on to the, the good news that at least Everton are at home in the next game. So, you know, we might might we might just be predicting a win. Although it won't be easy against a, a decent Southampton side. Um, any thoughts on Southampton in general, Josh? Yeah, I think they're on the right track. I like what they're doing. I think they, they did the right thing by keeping Harrison Hull beyond the 9-0 defeat. Mm-hmm. I think that, that was just an anomaly and I think if, if if they would have actually sacked him for that, I'd go as far as saying he could be at Everton right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think he's gradually turned things around. I think he's he, he, he's improved. He, he kind of instilled the brand of football he was known for. I think that they've gradually moved the squad towards being suitable to that brand of football as well. I think if you look at who they've got in attack, um, obviously Danny Ings is doing all kinds, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll speak about. But alongside Danny Ings, they've got just like nifty, mobile, hard-working attackers sort of thing mm-hmm. that I think are suitable to playing in transition. If you look at that Moussa Gineppo, um Sufine Buffal as well. Uh, Jay Adams obviously hasn't really hit the ground one that much, but he did score from almost a halfway line on the weekend. Mm. Shane Long obviously a grafter. Um, and I think Obafemi's a you know he's he's young, but he's he fits the profile sort of thing. And I think yes, yeah, Southampton has spent a few years drifting, let's say, from from the success that they had with Pochettino and and Kuhn and. Coaches like that, but I think they're getting back towards that now. Yeah, yeah, really good, really good summary. Um, they looked down and out. I thought early in the season, many people tipped them to go down. Um, but you know, one key tactical change was Hasenhutl's decision to revert to the the four four two that it's brought him so much success at Leipzig. Really, up until that point, it, it was quite interesting. Seemed to be a little bit more fluid in his tactical approach and it just didn't seem to suit the players. You know, we talked about player suitability for the bulk of this show really and yeah, the, the results were really inconsistent. They had that 9-0 which looked horrendous on paper. It was maybe 
a little bit more unlucky on the day than than what it seems. And yeah, they went to the four four two, which often resembles something like a four two two two. Four two two two, yeah, okay. We always laugh about that, don't we? It's such a uh, <laughs> it does catch you out uh, if you add too many twos on there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got you know, I think wild plays drift centrally do really do a really good job of picking up the ball in between the lines. Uh, you know, wing, wing backs heavily relied upon. Um, they press really hard as a side, um, which is something they don't have to be prepared for. Interesting that most expected points models have them inside the top 10 and actually similar to where to, to Arsenal, maybe a little bit higher, which, you know, captures just how much of a decent side they actually are. Um, you know, sixth for shots attempted, nine, ninth, sorry, for fewer shots against. So, you know, you're probably looking at a side, not, not even just mid-table, probably upper mid-table and could be knocking on the door of the top seven, eight next year. Um, I guess, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, providing the, you know, sign, you know, make that step up, sign decent players in the, in the transfer market and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think they've benefited from something I said last week, uh, which is the, the very, very rarely draw. The Liverpool and City are the only two teams that have drawn mm-hmm. more than a uh, few of times than Southampton. Other than that, other than the four draws they've had, they've, they've lost 16 times and won 13 times. So, you know, if you, if you look at the fact that it's one point for a draw, three mm. points for a win, I think it allows them to, you know, they're very much risk versus reward at the minute. Southampton, and they play like that on the pitch. I think they've got back towards the the style of play where, I don't know about you, but when I, from, as a Liverpool fan, whenever I think Liverpool are playing Southampton, I, I now think that'll be a tough game. And I think mm. they went through a period where they, they were no longer that team. Um, I don't think they're an enjoyable team to play against. And yeah, it's 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 probably going to be a, a well matched game. I think it's going to be an interesting little fixture. That. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah. it'll be a tough game. Yeah, uh, 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 just quickly on Danny Ings because you mentioned him before. He's he's scored for Southampton in each of his last two Premier League visits to Goodison. Bit of a um, He's a bit of a bogey player, actually, for Everton. I remember he scored one of his few Liverpool goals in a Merseyside derby at Goodison as well. Um, so, he, you know, he's one to watch. They've got decent players. I think Ward-Prowse has really come on. Um, yeah, I, I never liked him in any way, but I, it always felt like he was a guy who, I guess, like a Sigurdsson-type player where a threat from set pieces, but maybe not really sure what else he was doing. But I feel like now he is a, a really good open play. Footballer as well. Um, you you mentioned there about it being probably a, a difficult game. I just wanted to flag that they tend to commit a lot of fouls. I think they've committed the most in the Premier League this season, which they're not a dirty side. I might add. You know, I think they've got maybe the third fewest number of yellow cards this year, which the two don't seem like they would add up. You know, most fouls, but third fewest number of cards. But what they do is there's a lot of Although Hazelton probably won't admit it, there's a few tactical fouls in there. Um, and a lot of those fouls happen high up the pitch as well due to the press. And so it, it could be quite difficult and disruptive for Evans' build-up play. Um, might just seem like a minor point, but it will be interesting to see how Everton deal with that, I think. Yeah. Just a little bit more, little bit more then on Dying's. He, um, 
he's, he's having his success just simply because he's incredibly clinical and really efficient when he's presented with opportunities, basically. Mm. Um, just looking at number of goals per shot, um, using stats, bombs, data. He's, according to that metric at least, he's behind only Mason Greenwood. You know, obviously, you know, mm. Mason Greenwood seems to score with every shot that he takes. <laughs> Jamie Vardy. <laughs> Sadio Mane. Robert Snodgrass, who only seems to shoot when he's taking a set piece. And Aubameyang. Other than that, Danny Ings is, he ranks according to that sixth in the division for um, for goals per shot. And is not is um, XG per shot, excluding penalties. Is quite high as well, which suggests that you know when when he does get presented with chances, that they're relatively easy to score, close to goal. So he, he is that poaching type. He's the, he's the kind of player who you will you might not see for half an hour, and when you do see him, he'll be on your penalty spot about to slot. So yeah, he's, he's that kind of player who you ha- you have to be really really focused when you play against because he will sniff out a chance usually, and it usually tends to be really close to goal. I think he did, he did very little against Manchester City a few days ago. But then, I can't remember what minutes it was, but I don't know where. There was a ball that came over the top and he was stretching to get on the end of it. Ended up going over the bar, but it, it could have easily found that despite him doing very little throughout the match. Yeah, that's it. He's, a, he's someone that you just can't sleep on, especially with, with his confidence so high. He's a, he's, he's a threat. He, he's, although the players in terms of profile, are completely different. He's like a Vardy-type character for Southampton in the sense that he's just always going to be a threat. You know, from the first to the last minute, if he gets a chance, you can say that he's going to convert it. So, um, yeah, he'll be, he will or could be a problem, I should say. Um, but Josh, I'm going to come with the, come to you now, sorry, with prediction. What do you think? It's tough this one because <laughs> I, I would be inclined to go for the draw, but it goes against what I've just said because Southampton don't seem to draw matches. Mm. But I, I, I do think I, I can't look past the draw with this one. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say two all. Two all, okay, yeah. Um, Even I though think... both teams have got decent defences, I suppose. Yeah, probably get proved wrong. No, yeah, I like I, I do like that prediction. I think I'm gonna go with an Everton win, and I'll I'll justify the same. Um, Everton ten. It feels like the pressure's off again now. When the pressure's off, Everton tend to get results basically, <laughs> um, and they're at home. So weirdly, Southampton don't have a good record at Goodison either. It's no winning fourteen visits, which you know was quite didn't, quite yeah, long to say the least. Didn't know that like. Yeah, should have told you that before. Giving you the prediction, uh, prediction line. Really sorry, but yeah, I'm going to go with. I know I'm going to go Everton two two nil. Um, Clean sheet. Yeah, yeah I, not that. I, I just think Everton have still been, you know, despite the criticism, they haven't been conceding a lot of goals or chances really. After even that, even on that settled the game on Monday was a a deflected own goal. Um, so I think they're doing okay defensively. Um, but we'll we'll wait and see. It, we didn't touch on Wolves, which annoyingly is this weekend. But it's just the games are coming so thick and fast. We ran out of time to to go on that. But Wolves away very quickly, Josh. It's that's a tough game always, isn't it? Yeah, 
Wolves yeah. very much the type of team to wait and mm. to just keep things level. And I don't know where Adama Traore will find the goal. They mm. take the lead, and he sits on it. So yeah, I think against Wolves, you you have to score first really to stand any chance. Yeah, that I agree. That you know, <laughs> Traore into Jimenez, cross ball, header, goal. No, that that seems to be their speciality. So yeah, we'll. Um, Providing that we, we do another show next week, we'll, we'll look back on that one and maybe go into a little bit more detail about Wolves, but I'm sure a lot of people learn about them when they watch them on Sunday. Um, if Everton get two wins out of the next games, they may still have some chance of Europe, but I think with that defeat on Monday, it's probably out the question now. Um, but Josh, we'll, we'll round it off there. Um, a lot we got through, I thought, so thank you very much for your insights as always. Yeah, no worries, mate. Cheers. And um, hopefully we'll 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 be back on again soon. Cheers, everyone. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.